Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hi, guys. Are you going to stay the elephant in the room? Yes, we're wearing the same shirt. Good thing I know him. That's my husband. Um, And I saw him leave the house this morning, and I definitely knew he was wearing that shirt. And when I was getting dressed, I thought, maybe it would be fun to match. And then I got here, and I thought, "Mm, (laughs) that maybe isn't the best choice. Um, But here we are, wearing our matching shirts. Anyways, how is everyone doing tonight? Good? Yeah, all right. Before we start, I would love to just pray and bow our heads. Lord, you are welcome here. Would you come, would you be here with us, Lord, now? Would you open our eyes to new truths in your word tonight, Lord? May we have humble hearts and open hands for what you have for us this night, God. We lift this up in your holy name. Amen. So the last time, or one of the last times I was up here, we were talking about Uh, the Orion Space Capsule. I showed you that cool picture um, of us at the beach watching it. And so tonight I wanted to keep the space stories going. Uh, One, because it would make my dad so proud. And two, I love Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. I'm pretty sure that I can make an illustration about heavens, space, stars for a lot of things in the Bible. So tonight we're going to talk about eclipses. Has anyone ever seen a solar or lunar eclipse? Yes, they're pretty crazy. Tonight, we're going to focus particularly on solar eclipses. Some of us may have seen one, but have you ever stopped to wonder what's actually happening? I brought this cool slide to help us understand. Um, Now, we know when an opaque object is illuminated by light, it casts a shadow. So guess what? The Earth and the moon are always casting a shadow somewhere in space. The solar eclipse happens when the earth passes or the, in the moon's shadow. So you can see the sun and the shadow from the moon. And so a solar um, is, sorry, you can see the umbra here. This is a total, the totality of a solar eclipse. This is the darkest part of the shadow. And it only happens very rarely every, anywhere on the earth. The reason why solar eclipses are so rare is that the moon's umbra rarely hits the earth's surface. It has to be lined up perfectly. Even during a total solar eclipse, the umbra only covers a very small part of the Earth. The last total solar eclipse that happened over the United States was August 21st, 2017. Does anyone, did anyone see it? Remember? Yes. I saw it. We were living in New York. We weren't actually in the totality line, but it was still really cool. It was like all my homeschool mom dreams come true. We made all of the fun gadgets to watch them, the cereal box, the cardboard with the holes to watch the shadows. And you start watching it. And even though you know what's happening, as soon as it starts, you're kind of like, oh, what's happening? It is so crazy to see the, the sun just disappear. Now you may think, what does a solar eclipse have to do with this passage? And I promise it does. And we're going to get there, but I'm going to leave you in a little bit of suspense for a little bit. But can you believe that we're in the last passage of John? 
We did it. We made it. What a journey it's been. And as we jump into John 21, I want us to spend a few minutes and just think about who Peter was. Peter's backstory is really important as we start tonight. Peter was, of course, one of Jesus' disciples. And not just one of his disciples, but one of his closest, one of his inner three, along with James and John. The three of them were part of everything that Jesus did. They were there for the Sermon on the Mount, the feeding of the 5,000, the healings, the casting out of demons, the raising people from the dead, and the transfiguration. Peter saw it all, and he was right by Jesus' side. So you might think, Peter must have been pretty special, right? That must have been why Jesus picked him. But when Jesus found him, we see that he was just a fisherman, humble, doing his work. Peter was truly just plucked out and called by name by Jesus. And when we meet him, his name isn't even Peter, it's Simon. And the very first time that Jesus meets him, he changes his name. John chapter 1, verse 41. He found his brother, so this is Andrew. Andrew first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. He doesn't even just change his name, though. Jesus tells him why he changes his name and what he's calling him into. In Matthew 16, 13, we read, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I mean, that's pretty powerful. Jesus, uh, Peter confesses that Jesus is Christ, and then Jesus calls him to be a leader, a rock, a pillar for the church in those early days when the church was just beginning. Throughout the Gospels, we see Peter become one of the most devoted, passionate, even slightly hilarious disciples. He does some pretty crazy stuff. He's always the, I'll do anything, I'll go all the way, let's go kind of disciple. When the disciples are on the boat with the intense storm, who walks on water with Jesus? It's Peter. He called out to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to the water, out to you on the water. Peter was just that kind of guy. And he went on, and we want this to be the sum of his story. But as we move on, we see Jesus having a conversation here that's critical to where we're headed tonight. In Matthew 26, we read, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. Peter answered him, They all, though they all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And then even in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, 
Simon, Simon, so this is Jesus. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Whew, that's a lot. Can you imagine Jesus telling you straight to your face that you're going to deny him? I wonder what Peter was thinking. It really seems like he doesn't even get it. He doesn't understand why he can't go where Jesus is going. And he's like, I hear you, but there's just no way. Don't you know who I am? I'm the rock. I'm the fighter. I have what it takes. I will not deny you. Now, I want us to take a little deeper look at this verse in particular, and you'll see where I was going with the eclipse story. When Jesus says to Peter, I have prayed that your faith may not fail, the not fail in Greek is where we get the word eclipse. So Jesus is saying to him, I have prayed that your faith may not be eclipsed, obscured, blocked. Jesus knew. Jesus is like Peter. Satan is going to put something between you and me in such a way that you will think that you can't see me anymore. And what you believe about me is going to fail. But the eclipse will pass and then strengthen your brothers. So what happens next? It's the moment of Jesus's arrest. I'm sure it's the moment that Peter thought, I'm going to come through on my word. The disciples and Jesus are in the garden of Gethsemane right before the passion. Judas and the religious leaders are walking up towards Jesus. And here's Peter. It's his moment to shine. He's all, let's go. And in a passion pulls his sword. And what does he do? He cuts off the ear of one of the chief priest's servants. He's probably thinking, I'm doing it. I am the rock. I knew I never, I wouldn't fail. I wouldn't, I won't betray Jesus. And of course, Jesus is like, Peter, this is not what we're doing here. He tells him to put away his sword and he heals the servant's ear. And Jesus was arrested and taken away. You see, Peter thought he had what it took. He was strong enough. He prayed enough. He did enough. He knew enough. All the things. Peter thought that in his own strength, he was enough. It's so easy for us to think the same. Or maybe we look at Peter's story and think, I would never do that. But think about how close Peter was to Jesus. And Peter still failed. And the hard part, and then here comes the hard part. It's the denial that Jesus warned him about. Peter had followed where they took Jesus, and now he's standing and warming himself next to a fire. Matthew 26, 69. Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied, that, denied before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came and said to Peter, Certainly, you are one of them, for your accent betrays you. 
Then he began to evoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And it says he went out and wept bitterly. Doesn't that just break your heart? Peter, the guy that promised everything, he just straight out fails. Not only does he deny him, but he denies him three times. He can't even say his name, Jesus. The man he confessed as the Christ, now he just says, I don't know the man. And each time he gets angrier. And the last time he invokes a curse on himself, swearing he doesn't know him. In Luke, it says he made eye contact with Jesus at this very moment. I don't know where Jesus was for this to line up perfectly, but the pain of bitter betrayal and broken trust. Peter must have felt like time stopped, his heart broken, the guilt and shame just so heavy stacking on top of him. And it says he runs out and wept bitterly. Do you know this feeling? The feeling of deep, deep shame. The one that makes you want to run and hide from the Lord in others. Author Kurt Thompson says that shame declares, I am not enough. There's something wrong with me. I am bad and I don't matter. You see, shame isn't just a feeling that we have that we've done something bad. It takes hold and it changes our perspective till all we see is that I am bad. This is the shame we see here. Shame that is saying, you didn't just mess up. You are a mess up. Shame wants you to believe it is not about the mistake, but that you are the mistake. And this is what the enemy wants. This is the major way that he eclipses the light, life, and freedom that Jesus offers. He takes your sin and shame and holds it in front of you so you think that Jesus has left, that he's gone. He could never love me. He won't come back. As we continue, this is where we find Peter in John 21. He knows Jesus is alive. He's been to the empty, empty tomb. He's even seen Jesus, but there hasn't been any mention of a conversation yet. Peter must be beside himself. The agony of what he's done, now mixed with some growing hope of the resurrection, but still he knows that there's this looming interaction with Jesus that needs to happen. I don't know about you, but when I have to have a hard conversation with somebody, it's all I can think about. I like can't function until it happens. And this is Peter. He's lived like this now for about two weeks. So the stories and lies that must be swirling around his head. At the beginning of the chapter in verse two, we read, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, I don't know about you, 
But I don't think I've ever really thought more about that statement before, other than, okay, they went fishing. At first glance, it may not see that strange. But let's remember again what Jesus called Peter to as a disciple. Jesus told him, from now on, you will be fisher of men, fisher of men. So here's Peter by the water. His faith has been crushed. He had been so confident in his ability and in a dash, he failed. So Peter runs off and does what? He goes fishing. He goes back to what he thought he was good at. He goes back to what he was before Jesus. He gives up on the calling place before him and goes back to what he knows because his faith has failed and shame is telling him he's not good enough. And guess what? That's exactly where Satan wants you to stay. Have you ever had the thought, I should be further along than this. I thought I had a stronger faith than this. I thought I was a Christian, but I still struggle with blank. You can enter whatever it is, bitterness, lust, selfishness, patience, whatever it is. Kurt Thompson in his book, Soul of Shame says, shame is not just a consequence of something our first parents did in the Garden of Eden. It is the emotional weapon that evil uses to one, corrupt our relationships with God and with others, and to disintegrate any and all gifts of vocational vision and creativity. These gifts include any area of endeavor that promotes goodness, beauty, and joy in and for the lives of others, whether that be teaching first graders, loving your spouse well, managing forests, conducting healing prayer service, creating a new medical technology, offering psychotherapy, or composing symphonies. Shame's, shame is the primary means to prevent us from using the gifts we have been given. And those gifts enable us to flourish as a light-bearing community of Jesus followers who work to create space for others who wish to join it to do so. Shame, therefore, is not simply an unfortunate, random, emotional event that came with us out of a primordial evolutionary soup. It is both a source and result of evil's active assault on God's creation and a way for evil to try to hold out until heaven and earth appear at the consummation of history. You see, Satan wants to put your sin, your failures in front of you. So you give up and you go back to fishing like Jesus was never part of your life to abandon your calling and go back to all the old things, back to old sin habits, back to drinking, back to an old girlfriend or boyfriend, back to striving, back to hiding, back to self-protection, back to all the unhealthy ways that we used to live. But guess what? Guess what? The good news is when you are in your failure, God comes to you. He does not abandon you like shame might make you feel. You do not need to hide. You do not need to run. You see, you may have been tricked in thinking that tonight was all about Peter, but it's not. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And here in John 21, the story takes a turn for the best. In verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. 
And so they cast it. And now they were, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging a net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, about a hundred yards. So we have Jesus standing on the shore at the break of dawn. He is the first one to speak. And he calls out, asking them if they've caught any fish, full knowing that they haven't caught any fish. And so he directs them to switch their nets to the other side. And instantly their nets become overwhelmed with fish. John is the first one to recognize the Lord. And he calls out to Peter. I love this picture of Peter. I mean, he's still Peter, right? This is so his character. John may be the first one to have recognized him, but Peter is the first one to act. Peter throws himself in the water and starts swimming towards the Lord. And I think it's important for us to remember that Peter still loves the Lord. He failed, yes, but at the exclamation of John, it's the Lord, he jumps into the water without hesitation, like we saw him have even in Luke when he was about to step off the boat. You see, healing has begun and the Lord is near. As he swam though, I wonder, all gung-ho, swimming, 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 and as he got closer to the shore, did the voices in his head and lies start getting louder and louder as he got nervous, as he got closer? He was about to meet Jesus face to face. They were going to have the conversation. I imagine Peter soaking wet, standing up, waiting to see Jesus, probably expecting him to have a hand on his hip and his finger waiting, ready to give it to Peter. But is that the picture we see? It's not. In verse nine, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples, was revealed to the disciples after he was raised for the dead. So what does Peter find when he stands up in the water? Is Jesus with his hand on his hip, wagging his finger, yelling? No. Jesus is inviting him to breakfast. I mean, how beautiful. I want to have breakfast with Jesus on the beach. Jesus has made a fire too, just like the fire that Peter stood beside and denied him three times. And now here's Jesus standing next to a fire, cooking fish and bread to feed and nourish Peter and to warm him up. You see, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even in his resurrected glory, he is mindful and compassionate of our physical needs. Peter and the disciples are not kept at a distance, but invited to draw near, to partake in the provision that Jesus is providing them. Come, he says, not go, come. He did not send Peter away, but he invited him to himself. After they eat, um, Jesus says to Peter in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Jesus enters further in here. Not only does he invite him close, but he comes and finds Peter in his failure. He starts off, Simon, son of John. You see, Jesus doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon, which was his name before his given, heaven given profession. But why? Because Peter hadn't been his namesake. He had been foolish, blasphemous, his intense zeal broken, and Simon had been his name before Peter. Now Jesus chooses to use this name not to humiliate him, but to heal him. Jesus, in this moment, is showing him that he's going to heal the Simon side of him and the Peter side of him and combine them together. Now we need to remember something really important here as we go through this painful and critical moment. If Jesus was not Jesus, if Jesus was not perfect love, if Jesus at his very core was not patience and kindness, then this conversation would probably end pretty poorly. But what we're witnessing here is agape love, God-given love in action. Remember the description of God's love in 1 Corinthians 13? I heard it read like this once and it's stuck with me since. Since Jesus does not envy, since Jesus does not boast, since Jesus is not proud, and since Jesus does not dishonor other people, and since Jesus is not self-seeking, and since Jesus is never easily angered, and since Jesus keeps not, no record of wrong, and since Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth, and since Jesus always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always persevere, it's okay that he confronts us in our sin and shame and deepest regrets. It's okay to trust Jesus with the most broken and tender parts of our heart because he confronts us to restore us. He's not compromised by sin in any way. He's always the perfect light and love and never humiliates us and never abandons us. And so Jesus says again to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Again, Jesus is saying, I'm calling you out of your failure and into your destiny. And again, verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So he wants you to picture Jesus's face here, looking at Peter restoring him each of the three times he denied him. And he's asking again for the third time, do you love me? This is Christ who knew every part of Peter's weaknesses, who told him what was going to happen, who told him he was praying for him, who bears the scars of debt, of paying the debt for sin and death. And this is the Christ who just made him breakfast on the beach. 
Can you hear the love and care in his voice? You see, Jesus isn't ignoring what happened. He's calling Peter out of his head and out of the lies that he must be feeling and restoring his reality. He's removing his shame. He's removing the lies that I've blown it. I can't lead people. I've let down everyone. And the Lord is looking straight at him, looking into his eyes and he's saying, I am restoring you. I'm recommissioning you. I am perfect agape love. And this is the work that I have you for you to do. It's the same as what I called you to before, but this time I want you to do it in my strength. Pastor my people and shepherd my sheep. You see, we cannot base our faith on our own faithfulness. It is only ever based on His. It's not about our feelings or how well we're doing it. On the cross, His last words to us weren't, well, just do your best. No, Jesus said, it is finished. We do not need to be paralyzed when our faith fails us. In our shame, we suffer in silence with panic and guilt. Guys, on the cross, Jesus said it was finished. You are forgiven. He keeps no records. This is the good news for Peter, and this is the good news for us. I mean, if there was ever a place to write the end, I would want it to be here. This should be the end of the story. I mean, Peter and Jesus have met. They've talked. Peter confronts, Jesus confronts Peter's sin and shame and restores him. I want to close the book and say we did it, but that's not quite the end. Peter, gazing eye to eye with Jesus, having this powerful moment, and then in verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but that if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? Peter was locked in this conversation and then something caught his attention and he took his eyes off of Jesus. At first I'm like, Peter, what are you doing? It's literally been two minutes of your restoration and you're sinning again. And then I realize, uh, I'm just as fickle. How utterly human is Peter? My heart and attention are just as easily distracted from the gaze of Jesus too. I mean, that's what we've been talking about all night. This is us. Peter looks and sees John. John is following along the beloved, and instantly comparison sneaks in to where shame had just been removed. And Peter's like, what about him? The patience and love of Jesus here, I mean, seeing every part of who Peter is, and Jesus just says, this isn't any of your business. You need to follow me. I have jobs for both of you. Peter, you are to be a pastor, and John has a role all of his own but you need to focus on what I have for you. You need to follow me. Do you need to hear that tonight? As we deal with our shame, there is so much shame-filled comparison and competition that wants to creep in. I mean, two seconds on social media and the pressure is too much. 
Peter's asking about John. It's not about those things, he says. Jesus is saying, it's not about that. It's about serving me, Jesus. And we even want to carry those comparisons inside the church. We envy the gifts of others, wishing we were like them instead of embracing how God had gifted us. These are spiritual gifts given by God, meant for the church in the building up of others, and we lock them up in shame and comparison. And I'll admit it's sneaky, though, that dark shadow that creeps in and grows. And to be perfect, honest, perfectly honest and vulnerable, to show you just how easy the enemy of our soul wants to eclipse the light of Jesus. If you asked me last week how I was doing, I would have said, I'm doing great. Things are great. And then this week started, and I began to feel fear popping up inside of me. It started in my parenting. Fear for me likes to take root first and foremost surrounding my kids. I fear making the wrong choice. I fear the unknown. I fear them getting hurt. I fear them turning into teenagers. My biggest fear is that they're going to walk away from the faith. And then I start thinking, why am I so full of fear? And then I realize I'm carrying around my own shame in my life that I grew up in a Christian home and I knew all the things and I walked away from the Lord when I was in high school and college to do my own thing. And then my mind is like, you are fearing and placing shame on the very thing, failing in your faith, that you are going to be talking about at Young Adults this week. And then in my mind, I'm thinking, I have shame now for feeling shame. And then it spirals. And then I'm like, I shouldn't be teaching at Young Adults. I've never been to seminary. I don't maybe know the Bible as well as I know it. You're not a good communicator. You shouldn't do this. Caesar is better, and Caleb is better, and Kevin is better. And I'm like two seconds away from picking up the phone and calling Caesar and being like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I'm going to go and just run and hide. You see how quickly the one thought swirled around. Think for a moment how many times you speak to yourself each day. How often you internally process every interaction you have throughout the day. Things you said and what was said to you. Things you do, things that were done to you. Now, how many of us would say the overall tone of that voice is negative? The stories we tell ourselves are the stories that we begin to believe. Do you see that when you believe the lies of Satan, you hide away your talents and your gifts and your creativity that are from God, but you hide them away in fear and rejection from rejection of people and not being enough? This is what Peter did when he, when he gave up his calling and he picked up those fishing nets again. And this is where I was headed this week as well. I was trying to think of this movie reference for here and I couldn't figure out the movie, but I concluded that it's either clueless or 10 things I hate about you. But either way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's the scene that I'm thinking of and I'm pretty sure it's in a bunch of different movies, but I'm picturing this person sitting out on a beach chair. They're not normally at the beach, but they're like in a driveway or a rooftop or something. And they have that like threefold silver thing like under their chin and they're catching all the rays, warm, 
son. And then in the scene, there's always somebody that walks up, right? Walks right up to them and then casts a huge shadow right on top of them. And then the person sunbathing is usually like all of the attitude, like pulls down the sunglasses and is like, you're in my light. And I was thinking about this because this is what I needed to do this week. I needed to take a big step to the sides, the side out of the umbra, remember the darkest part of the shadow, and yell out to the enemy, holding my shame in comparison in front of my face and say, get out of my light. Get out of my light. You do not get to hold me here. You do not get to eclipse Jesus. You see, when you look back at that slide of the solar eclipse, there may be a shadow on earth, but has anything ever changed with the sun? No. The sun was always there. Nothing had changed about the sun. It didn't leave. It didn't lose strength. It's always there in its perfect glory. Do you know how many times the light is, re is referenced in the Bible? It's 235 times around. That's a lot. Psalms 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. 1 John 1.7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 2 Corinthians 4.6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 5, for you are all children of light, children of the day. You are not of the night or of the darkness. Romans 13, 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Get out of my light. We need to say that standing on the firm foundation of Jesus, finished work on the cross and the freedom that brings us. Get out of my light. Thank you, Jesus, that you are that light. My Sunday school teacher forever ago told me this line, and it still comes to my mind like all the time, which I love. She said, light makes vision possible. The light of Jesus shines in our darkness and gives us clear vision, clear vision of himself, clear vision of our identity, clear vision of our calling. He has defeated all darkness. And because of his perfect love, he casts out all fear. Christ alone can deal with your shame. It does not matter what it is. You want to know some really practical ways that I put that into action this week when all of that shadow was growing. And I was able to get out of the shadow and move into his marvelous light. He was in confession, in community and in the presence of Jesus. I confess those fears and shame to the Lord and to my husband and to a group of women. And then I allowed them to speak truth over me. And then I sat and I had my own breakfast so to speak with the Lord. And I allowed his forgiveness to wash over me. You see, when you see it all in his light, it wasn't about my failed faith long ago or even my current failures. 
It was just about his faithfulness all these years, pursuing me, drawing me in. It was true beauty for ashes. And as we close this whole book of John, let's remember that John had written this book so that we could see the way that Christ has come to show us the Father and that God wants to remain with us, that he became like us and not just the came like us to redeem us and not just the easy to forgive parts, but all of us, every part of us. And he invites us to life with him. Come, he says, just like he did to Peter, come. If you're in a place tonight where you feel like your faith has failed, this is not the end of the road for you. Jesus showed us that sin and shame do not have the final word. This is not your final moment. Remember that invitation on the beach. Jesus comes to you. He changes you. He repositions you to his light. So let's follow. Just like he says, let's follow. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. He will forever and only be the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are our marvelous light, Lord. Lord, I pray as we enter into this time of response, God, that you would speak to us, that you would show us where we have clung onto our shame as our identity instead of looking to you. Lord, you make us whole. Like you said, Lord, it is finished. You keep no record. You have forgiven us completely, Lord. Break those chains of shame in our life tonight, Lord. We thank you that you give us an invitation to come, Lord, instead of pushing us away. Lord, that you are perfect light and love and life and freedom, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.